to episode two of Golden Shores and thank you for listening. We are joined in our podcast in this episode by Mel Johnson, who has an amazing resource in her Instagram and her coaching for women who are entering into solo parenthood. Mel speaks so beautifully about building your village and the importance of getting really clear about expectations when asking for support. Here's our chat. Hi Mel, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're really, really happy to have you here. Would you like to do a little bit of introduction and tell everybody who you are and how they might find you? Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm Mel Johnson. I am solo mum to a five-year-old that I had using IVF with donor sperm. And when I was pregnant, I felt like the only person in the world who had taken this path to parenthood. And so decided to set up the Stalk and I, which is to support other people who may be considering solo parenthood as well as those who who are solo parents so really to form a community so yeah that's a bit about me oh thanks mel and for anyone who doesn't follow mel on instagram because i do mel is so good at just giving a like you give such a good like a whole picture of things which i know i've i'm working with people that have worked with you and from your community so so valuable the work and the sharing that you do and um, we wanted to hear a little bit about your story, really. We, you know, we are running a birth course, running a birth course for people that maybe it's a longer wasted pregnancy, a pregnancy that has, you know, that's been taking a lot of thought going into that pregnancy. And what, talk us through your, your journey then in, in, in your own way. Yeah, so I was living an excellent life. Um, I had lived abroad for seven years, um, travelled the world. I was living in Budapest, having a lovely time. But when I was 37 and I started to think, feeling a bit old to be doing this now. I'm loving it, but I feel like I'm potentially going to miss out on parenthood. I'd been single for the, for those whole seven years. I'd tried dating. It didn't work well for me. And I had a real fear that I was going to miss out on motherhood. And it started impacting how much I was able to enjoy my life. You know, when you've got a great life, but you, if I thought maybe I would miss out on motherhood and therefore that started impacting how much I was able to enjoy the moment and so at 37 I'd considered solo parenthood but kept on thinking surely I must meet somebody and when it became apparent that really wasn't going to happen or anytime soon um, I rang a fertility clinic and said you know can I come and have a chat with you and it all moved really quickly after that because as soon as I'd picked up the phone and spoken to the fertility clinic I booked an appointment like three weeks later and then in that conversation at the fertility clinic they were like we could start on your next cycle if you want and I was a bit like what because I'd been thinking about this really on and off for about three years and then just being able to start immediately I thought oh I don't know and then I just thought well why not what am I waiting for I know that this is what I want to do but at that time, I didn't know there was nobody in the public eye. There was nobody I knew in my life who had done this. I had nobody to look at to think, how does this work? It felt very different from what everybody else was doing. And at that time, there was definitely a why me? Why can't I just meet somebody like everybody else? Why do I have to do something different? Um, 
So yeah, I went to the fertility clinic. I did decide to start on my next cycle and I decided to have IVF because I was 37. Statistically, it was just a better chance. I'd saved up enough money and I was still living in Budapest. And I was at that point, you couldn't have treatments in Budapest as a single woman. They may have changed the legislation now, but at that point you couldn't. And, um, I so I was having to fly back to Manchester to have the treatment and I thought with IVF it's a bit easier to do that because you can control the timings a little bit more and hopefully I will need to fly black less if you're doing IUI potentially you might need to come back and do more you know who knows it's all a gamble isn't it but that that was the rationale and so I came back to Manchester did IVF and had three embryos I transferred the first embryo and it was a chemical pregnancy where I took I am an early tester I cannot help myself um so I think from like day six I was I should have shares in pregnancy tests honestly because I I just have taken so many in my life um I tested on day six and it was the faintest of faintest lines which got uh, um darker and then as I continued testing, started to get lighter, um, which I understand is quite common. Usually you wouldn't know because you wouldn't be testing that early unless you'd gone through IVF. So I then I actually met somebody and what I call faffed around for about nine months because I still honestly hadn't let go of the dream of doing it with someone else. And so having almost like a glimmer of hope I thought maybe I'll pursue this even though looking back in hindsight it was so clear that that was not a good idea um so that sort of delayed me trying another transfer but then I was like no this is not this is not going anywhere let me put that to one side and then do another transfer so that was about nine months later and that Mm -hmm. second transfer I was so shocked about doing a transfer it's like doing a smear test you just pop in they 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 transfer it and then and then they say I can go and I felt like Phoebe from friends I was like no no I don't want to go I need to lie here and put my legs up for a bit and they're like no you don't need to do that and um so I left the clinic and then yeah two weeks later I did uh, well no that's not true obviously about six days later and continuing every day up to two weeks I did pregnancy tests and that that one is my daughter. I still lived in Budapest at that time. So I spent the first three months of my pregnancy in Budapest. Um, and I was already, um, regardless of this, I was already coming back to the UK. So I came back when I was um, three months pregnant and then have been in the UK ever since and um, had my maternity here and um, and, and now have settled down here. So that's the high level summary version. <laughs> Just some, I love it. I love we get used to rehearsed and saying our story quite quickly, really, don't we? Miss yeah. Little bits and pieces, but thank you. Thank you for sharing it with us and for the people that are listening. And talk us through your pregnancy then. How was your pregnancy? How were you physically, emotionally? What was that like? I was really lucky. So I think, so I was talking about not having come to terms with the fact that I wasn't doing this in a more traditional way with a partner. For me, 
that stopped when I got pregnant. So as soon as I made the decision and I was doing this and I was pregnant, I, I didn't look at that at all. I was like, this is my situation. This is my, my circumstances. How can I make this the best it can be? And so I was emotionally um, in a good place and physically Luckily, I was in a good place. Uh, the first three months were were tough, actually. I was super tired, as is quite common. And, you know, not having a partner, I personally think, was amazing at that time. Because I <laughs> remember just leaving work at five and literally going to bed, you know, just slobbing on the sofa or going to bed, not having to speak to anyone, not having to be sociable was perfect at that time when I was, like, really, really tired. Um I could just be very selfish, you know, I could do what I wanted and just look after me. So, um, and then when I moved at three months, that got better. I moved back to the UK and in true form, this is how I tend to live my life. I took on so many different things. So I live was living in London and I had a job in London. I bought a house in Manchester, which needed renovating, which I was renovating. So I was back up and down in the week. I was living with a friend in London, commuting back for the weekend to finish the renovation on my house. So I, 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 and I carried on. I remember being like eight months pregnant and having someone coming to do the carpets and I hadn't taken one of the carpets up. And I was like, oh, no worries. I'll just quickly do it now. And he looked at me like, Uh, No, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, no, I really need this carpet fitting. Please let me just do it now. He was like, right, we'll help you take the carpet up. So, um, yeah, I carried on sort of just living life (laughs) as I always would have right up until the end. And I think I just had really good support from friends and in particular my mum, who I felt, you know, was really supporting me through it. And I was just so busy, like settling back into the UK, having been abroad and settling into a new house and getting ready for having a baby. I, I didn't have time really to be thinking, overthinking things or worrying too much. I was just like going and living. That is how I tend to live my life. Oh, thank you. Did you take that sort of making it the best it can possibly be into your birth planning? What were you doing in pregnancy to sort of prepare you for that? Yeah, so um, I decided that I wanted my mum as my birth partner. My mum and I are really close. And the only hesitation I had, and my mum knows this, is in our relationship, I'm usually the one in charge. And my mum, that's just naturally as an adult, how things happen. Like I'm the organiser, I'm the one who takes charge of situations. So I did say to my mum, are you sure you're going to be able to do this because you're going to have to take charge of the situation? Um, and she said, no, don't worry. In this situation, I can I can do it. So she came to some antenatal classes with me so that we could prepare what, what I wanted her role to be in, in the birth. And we'd had really good chats about what her role in general in this was going to be because I think people say, I'll help you. But you you really need to know what that means, because when you've got a partner, you know, there's an expectation that they, well, I suppose everyone has different expectations of what a partner will do, but there's a basic expectation that they will be there to support you. When you're, when you haven't got a partner and people are saying they're going to help you, 
my advice is to really try to have a good dialogue about what does that look like when you say help what would that be and I think me and my mum did that really well so we really talked about what was realistic for her you know she's in her 70s what was realistic for her to be able to support me so I prepared for that um and and we as much as you can um prepared for how she would be involved and yeah she was my birth partner it was um it was one of those situations where I was waiting forever um I was really overdue and um you know as as long as they possibly could wait I think I it, it took um and yeah my mum was there and then my dad came to pick me and my mum up from the hospital and we all went home in the car together I had a, this this is some of the things we think this was my biggest fear and this is the negative side of social media I on social media you see these pictures of the dad with the baby in the in the carry thing and that is just what you see like everybody seems to post that picture of the dad carrying and I thought I'm not gonna have that picture that was the one like not nothing else was bothering me about how was this gonna work anyway my dad came and picked me and my mum up I can't even remember now what if I took a picture or what happened I think I was a bit shell-shocked at that point but um yeah I definitely feel like I am really well supported by a number of different people rather than having one person particularly my parents are really involved I think that advice around expectations and when you say help exactly what do you mean by help is so important for everybody to articulate I think that is probably a source of difficulty for most people because you've got an idea about what that looks like but that other person's idea about what that looks like might be completely different and you know what that's something that I talk openly about now because I've done this on my own I genuinely can't imagine what it would be like to do it with somebody else and I know what I'm like and that that is so true for me so I would have such an unrealistic expectation of what someone else is going to do I think I would have a bit of a fantasy you know, saw it on a movie type expectation and and constantly feel let down. And the one good thing about one of the good things about doing this on my own is that I never feel let down because I know, you know, that it's on me and other people are there to support that. But I haven't got this expectation that somebody else is going to be, you know, picking stuff up. And so I think if you go into it knowing that, it's much easier how did you find those um early weeks and your recovery had you put much in place for yourself yeah so I had agreed with my mum that she was going to stay at my house for the first two weeks actually we got to 10 days and I said as much as I don't want to say this to you can you go home because I'm ready to just see what it's going to be like on my own because I have to do it and I think I think I'm ready to 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 try it. And I do remember that first night, my mum leaving, and I remember a sort of walking out the door and me thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm in charge of the baby on my own." But it was fine. And um, the deal that me and my mum had was she wouldn't get up in the night and help me. So I would have quite interrupted night sleep. Daisy was not a good sleeper at all. She wouldn't go down 
on her own at all. She had quite bad reflux. It was very difficult to get her to lie in the cot. She wanted to be upright. So my sleep, that that was really hard. And um, But I think it was sensible, the decision me and my mum made, that my mum got a really good night's sleep, so she was really rested. So then in the morning, she could come and really help me and look after me and sort the house out and make us food. And if she would have also got up in the night, I think she would have been tired and not not able to help me as much. So that worked really well for 10 days. And then she left and different people would come in and help and support. And my mum would come back and different family members and friends. And the one thing that I would say as somebody doing this on their own, people were trying to help practically and everybody was saying offering childcare but actually one of the things I wanted was company so I didn't want you to come and take my baby I wanted you to come and sit with us and keep me company because it can be lonely and I know so many new parents say that regardless of whether you've got a partner or not so that's something I now really tell people be really clear what support you need maybe it's bringing food maybe it's doing washing maybe it's going to the shops whatever it might be but maybe it's just coming and spending time with us um and 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 keeping me company so that was certainly what I needed and I kept on saying thank you so much for these generous offers of coming to look after my daughter but that's not actually what I need what would be helpful is just coming and hanging out with us and can I ask Mel because that's such such a good point isn't it because I remember so many people came to see me in the early days when it was on my own in the day, sometimes when, you know, my partner was with me. Those visits were never quite what I expected them to be. So it was either people really wanted to hold my baby. So that would tend to be, actually, no one was offering to take them out either. <laughs> they just wanted to be in my house while I made cups of tea and they held um, my son. I hadn't really expected that. And, and looking back, I kind of think, I didn't I didn't say what I needed. I don't know why I felt it's found it so hard to say, actually, it would be really helpful if you could just go and unload the dishwasher and and me, you know, like, could you go and do a bit of shopping? I didn't, I didn't feel able to do that. I think I like to think uh, if I'd ever did it again, which I'm not, that I would feel more confident to say that. But in your community, have you got a way that you like you how do you help people to be able to have those conversations? Because I'm quite an outgoing, confident person and I found it really difficult. And I wondered if you've got any tips on on that kind of getting what you need and feeling comfortable in asking. I do. It it's really hard to ask for help, particularly people in my community, because a lots of people are really used to being independent on their own you know not having a partner and just not having to ask anybody for help just getting on on our own and so starting to have to ask for help can be really difficult I think it can be slightly different because sometimes you actually do just want people to come around and keep you company so so actually just having them there um it can be quite nice in some ways but what I always advise people is have the conversations before the baby comes as much as you can to say what I need, I'm going to need help. I'm probably going to find it hard to ask for help. The sorts of things that I think I might need help with are and almost like 
contracting a little bit before you're in the moment so setting it out one of the really lovely ways that I um suggest to people to do it if you really think you're going to struggle is put someone else in charge so um you know someone who's like your bestie say to them this is what I think I need and can you organize everybody else on a bit of a rotor so you know, many of us haven't had um, a hen party, for example, but I imagine it's like you're getting the maid of honour type person to coordinate with all of the people in your life and say, can you help me? Because I feel uncomfortable saying, can you bring me food? Can you do this? And, And actually you can get someone else to almost like coordinate it for you. And that's a lovely role for somebody as well. You know, someone who really, everybody wants to help and nobody knows how to best help. And I think, Helen, your point is so valid. I've learned this in hindsight because I expected everyone to be a mind reader. I couldn't understand why people didn't automatically know what I needed. But speaking to people, everyone wants completely different things. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. And I've heard people say, don't absolutely don't come around to my house for the first few weeks. I need two weeks of just me and the baby where I was like, please come around on day two because I need people. So as a friend, how are you supposed to know which one of those categories you're falling into? And the other thing is I changed so significantly um, because I was living my life in a certain way and then became a parent and and that just changed things and my friends were trying to figure out who I was now and what help I needed and I didn't give them any guidance on that I just wanted to feel irritated if they didn't know by mind reading powers so my advice always now and what I've done subsequently it's been a lot clearer and I remember having a conversation to say feeling lonely because nobody's coming around to my house and my mum was like have you invited anyone around to your house and I was like no because they should know that they need to do that my mum was like right yeah of course um and and then that changed things where I was guiding people more than yeah I think Helen's spoken before um on the course about how difficult it is to ask for help receive help it not quite be what you want and then have to go back out and be like oh actually no that isn't what I need I need x and kind of finding the ability to do that so yeah you spoke to that really well yeah and I think some people find it easier to do that by text rather than by voice it's like it's finding your medium isn't it of what how can I do how can I do this so that I feel comfortable with it and actually do you know Mel it kind of makes you think of like my my years with infertility I felt very isolated then. I felt very left out by my friends and at the same time wasn't actually telling them what I needed and that I felt like that. So it's like I wanted them to know that sometimes I needed to see them without their children, but I'd never let them know that. So it's like, how are they supposed to know? So it's interesting, isn't it? How we kind of want, I think you're right, we want people to be able to read our mind and, you know, Maybe there are some people out there and some friends that are really attuned to doing that. But I think our impulse quite often with people is to think, well, I don't want to interfere or I don't want to overstep the mark or I don't want to do something that might feel like too much. I I know that's sometimes how I can be when friends have been in situations where I think they need something, but I'm a bit like I'm second guessing myself whether whether that's right. So, yeah, it's having that courage, isn't it, to. Just asking them, isn't it? People say, if there's anything you need, let me know. 
but we don't because we don't. it's like that doesn't happen does it that connection of that that's the number one thing I say on my coaching course everyone you know pretty much everyone will say I'm here to help if there's anything you need let me know and the number one tip I say is you need to follow up on that because they won't in the most part some people might but often the intention is there and it's genuine but they they've got their own lives and they're living their life and so you have to follow up remember that time you said if I needed anything actually it would be so helpful if so following up and and presuming that anybody's offer was genuine I think is is how we need to be Mm. And with close me and my closer friends now, we actually send each other an like, um, optional choice. Like, love it. Conclusion that actually, when we say, "Is there anything I can do to help?" It's not we don't. No one knows what to do with that really. So it's like I can do this, 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 or this, <laughs> which would be like better. I can drop shopping on your doorstep. I come in and we can hang out. We can go for a, what? What one of those things would actually serve you? And that's kind of helped us in our friendship group to get what we need more clearly. I love uh, that. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's it's an art and I think learning how to do it I think I think in getting older has allowed me to learn that more with the kind of wisdom (laughs) it is hindsight isn't it a little bit but I think yeah it's so helpful and then as you went through into that kind of you know that fourth trimester because I feel that in the early days everyone wants a piece of you you know the presents come the gifts come the car everything everyone wants to come visit you and then kind of by about six weeks things kind of level off don't they and you I felt very much I was on my own really and I had to go out and make mum friends and that was going to be my job and my role to do that how did that play out for you did you have that kind of leveling off you know I was living my best life in that fourth trimester so it was um I was on maternity leave so I had nine months of maternity and I was living in Manchester and I found it so easy to meet people because there were so many people where I lived who had children the same age. And so I was socialising, I was out and, you know, doing a class and going for coffee and cake and meeting up with other people. Now, I would say I put in a lot of effort. I think you said, uh, Helen, it was like your job. That's how definitely how I approached it. So I was like, to make sure that I am doing well here, I am going to really focus on how do I make some really good local friends with children of a similar age. And so I went to classes, I went on apps. Of course, I'm the master at apps because of all my dating experience. So mum apps were a breeze compared to dating apps. So, So I was meeting people that way my um, antenatal course people so I had a brilliant social life and the way that I viewed it is in the evening I was going to be on my own in the house therefore and I am an extrovert and I get my energy through other people I am going to socialize in the day um, with with my daughter so I definitely did a lot of socializing it was very bad for me to have a whole day at home not seeing any other adults and I know that's about myself and therefore I put every plan in place to make sure that didn't happen one of the advices I give people is I don't know if you get into this cycle but when you're really tired you think I'm not going to go out so I'm just going to rest today and it absolutely doesn't work because it's so much more tiring depending on your personality to be in all day on your own with a baby than it is to be out so I really forced myself to get out and had a brilliant time um, and I felt I 
again, I want to sort of emphasize some of the advantages. When I met up with other mum friends, so many of them were complaining about their partners and about, you know, the situation and feeling alone because you've got a partner who gets to just go and live their everyday life and you feel like you're not. Whereas I didn't have to deal with any of that. So I felt really great in that period. The, the tricky bit for me was actually when maternity leave ended, because, of course, all of that socialising stopped because I was at work and um, people then were busy with they were working and then they had their family at the weekend. And so I started I had this period where I was like, oh, how do I adjust from maternity leave to going back to work? But again, I tackled it like a job. So I was like, right. And I think one of the key things to say here is, there's such a belief that everybody is with their family at the weekend and therefore nobody will want to spend time with you. And it is absolutely not true. It's something that we make up and we tell ourselves and it's back to communication. So I admitted to a few friends, actually, I'm finding it a bit tough because I now haven't got much to do at the weekends and I need to be out with people at the weekends. And uh, my friends were like, okay, but my husband works on a Saturday, so I'm free every Saturday. Or my husband plays golf most weekends and that takes so many hours. And so you like, and, and other friends were like, when have I ever told you I only want to spend time with my family at the weekend? Like the, the doors are open, particularly my oldest friends that have been married for like 25 years. Um, So yeah, the, that that was more of an adjustment for me but I think it's all about planning and communication and knowing yourself I know that I need adult company so if I'm not going to get it in the evening I have to get it in the day to be honest the other thing I've massively worked on from a developmental point of view is not needing so much company there's a brilliant book um Francesca Spector wrote called Alonement and it's embracing being on your own, not seeing it as a negative. And I had to do a lot of work on that. And now I've gone a little bit the other way and I don't I don't need so much, um, you know, I'm much better on my own. I think it helps when your child's like Daisy's five now. So she also is a more company than a than a baby. You know, baby doesn't give uh, apart from some cute gurgling, doesn't give you much back. So um so yeah, I would say it was that adjustment from maternity going back to work that was hardest um but I've nailed that now so all good <laughs> you know I, this is why I love following your stories because you're so there's such an optimism there's such an optimism about what you share and I think that kind of notion that well seeing not having a partner as a deficit whereas you will always have a brilliant example of actually if I had a partner <laughs> that fantasy of what I think would be playing out it's not necessarily people's lived truth and I think that that must bring people so much um perspective and and comfort I think yeah Uh, and I I don't I don't want to say you know having a partner's all of these negatives for me there's some advantages of having a partner and there's some advantages of being on your own and it's just about making the most of your situation and I think what's really important on social media is being balanced because what I don't want to do is sell a different fairy tale. So I don't want to pretend, okay, now, now now I'm living this other fairy tale. It's still reality and there's still hard parts. And I so I try to be balanced um, because otherwise, you know, when you look at these people and you think that ca- that cannot be their life. How can, how can that? I've never met anyone in real life whose life 
goes like this. So I think it is important to try to show balance, but also of how to find the best way you can live in your circumstances. The, the, the main difference I have found between people who thrive as solo parents and people who struggle is comparison. If you can stop thinking about what it would be like in a different circumstance and embrace your circumstance and make it the best it can be, that is the way to do it. And the, the thing that I have found is I have got such brilliant female friends that I wouldn't have if I was, <clears throat> pardon me, that I wouldn't have if I was in a different circumstance because I have come to rely on them. I The connection we have, the way that we're really truthful about how we're feeling about parenthood because we feel safe to do that because we're in similar situations. So I feel like I've developed a really tight-knit friendship and support group that I don't think I'd have if I had a partner, which is another massive benefit for me because I love it. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much, Mel. And we've been asking everybody this, but if you were to go back now, at the very beginning of your pregnancy, or even at the very beginning of your journey, what advice would you give to yourself then? The main thing I would say is diversify your friendship group and your social media following if you're on social media so that you're not feeling like your situation is different to everybody else's. I have a really diverse group of friends. So people who've decided not to have children, people who've got older children, people who are single people in same-sex relationships. So like my situation is just one situation of a whole variety of situations. If you are only friends with people in the nuclear family, it is harder not to think that I am the odd one out and I feel different from all of my friends and they don't understand me. So I think, first of all, trying to broaden that that social circle and the inputs that you're seeing to see a variety of different people all thriving in their chosen path and I think then decide which path you want to take and really focus on making that the best it can be and putting all your energy into figuring out how you can make your circumstances the best that they can be and my biggest advice to myself would be stop worrying what other people think I just kept on thinking, what will other people think? Will they think I'm a failure? Will they not disagree? Will they agree with this decision? It, very much worried about what other people think. And now, you know, that I that is not a consideration of mine. So trying not to worry what other people think for me was probably a biggie. Oh, that's brilliant advice. So what would be really great for people who are listening to here, right? that people will be listening in, how do they what how does your community work? Talk us through what people can expect when they come and they're following your account and how does it how does that go? So I've basically got three different group coaching courses. And the reason that I do group coaching courses is because a lot of the power is in meeting the other people on the course who are in a really similar situation for you. So I've got one for people who are considering if this is the right path for them. I've got one for people who are pregnant um, as, as a solo parent. And I've got one for people who've got children that are donor conceived on their own 
and they want more confidence about how to communicate to their child about their conception and to communicate to other people. And so they're all over three weeks remotely. We dial in, we get to know each other and we talk through whatever is on our minds and whatever things that we want to um, we want to talk through. So that's the main way. And then I also have a membership site, which is um, a membership community, $2.99 a month. And you get um, podcast episodes from experts and monthly calls where we all get on a call and just talk through what's going on for us and support each other. And I do lots of meetups. So we've got a camping trip coming up in July. We've got, you know, we're going to a farm park, just a way for people who haven't got that community to, to meet up and either remotely or some face to face. And that's great for our children as well, because then our children get to meet other people who have got the same family structure. It's I always laugh now because Daisy's a bit like, oh, look, that person's got a mummy and a daddy because I spend so much time with so many parents. It's almost like gone the other way for Daisy. But um, yeah, just that they can see that there's other people in their situation. And I think as they're growing up, you know, having I've interviewed lots of donor conceived people and they all say they would have loved to know somebody else when they were growing up who was in the same situation that they could chat it through with and talk to about it. And so I'm really happy that Daisy will have that. She's got numerous people that she'll know. So she definitely feels she feels part of the community in some ways and she'll have people to talk it through. And it's very much normalised because she sees so many people in the same situation. Mel, you're a legend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> thank you so, so much for listening. We also run a support space for pregnancy, birth and recovery, also called Golden Shores. We'll include a link in the show notes.